Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ. Hey, man, I'm excited to announce a great community and platform that I've been working with called Rare Liquid. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, I was at an incredible event in Paso Robles with the Rare Liquid team and their founding artist and producer, Turtle Rock Vineyards. Uh, you might remember this was my number one wine from 2021, my famous Blackberry Cobbler a la mode motherfucker. Uh, Rare Liquid is really cool. They're building a network of artists and producers, collectors, and storage providers to solve the provenance problem for the rare wine and spirit industry. Members get access to verified limited edition drops from elite producers and can frictionlessly share, trade, gift, and monetize their collections. While for the first time in history, artists and producers can earn a royalty payment every time their bottles trade on the platform. Rare Liquid is expanding to 560 members through their invite-only Founders Club drop. You can check it out at rareliquid.club, which I'll put in the show notes. Uh, Rare Liquid has given me a limited number of membership invitations. If you're interested in an invitation and learning more, hit me up on Instagram at MJTaller, or you can just send an email to blackwineguy at gmail.com. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a Black Wine Guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is a businessman, philanthropist, NCAA champion, world champion, and legendary sports icon, Isaiah Lord Thomas. Isaiah is a 12-time NBA All-Star and was named one of the 50 greatest players in the NBA history as well as the most recent 75 greatest players. In 1981, Thomas led the Indiana Hoosers to the NCAA title. And he was selected as the second pick overall by the Detroit Pistons in the 1981 NBA draft. Played for him his entire career while leading the bad boys to back-to-back NBA championships in 1989 and 1990. Uh, he was the first NBA player to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. Uh, Thomas is the chairman and CEO of Isaiah International and Isaiah Imports and has been investing in new and existing businesses for 30 years. Uh, Thomas is the owner of Sherlin Champagne, which is the only certified minority-owned champagne house in the world. Welcome, Isaiah. Hey, it's good to be here. Hey, man, thank you so much for coming in. I know it was a, a bit of a struggle. This New York City traffic could get you sometimes. You know, it it, it took me a, a half an hour to go 15 feet. <laughs> <laughs> I know you thought I was going to say a block, but no, I, I just moved 15 feet, yeah. that's all. No, it's, I listen, I, I take the train in from Jersey and Walking up Eighth Ave, that traffic is always just brutal, and then yeah. it's always gridlocked. So it's all good, man. We're here now. Um, tell everybody about the wine you brought. Well, well, champagne is wine, but uh, what'd you bring today? So I brought a a, a bottle of our Brut Special. Uh, we have a uh, four skews and uh, Chirlan Champagne. Chirlan Champagne. We have a uh, two hundred acres over in the Old Region of Champagne, which is the oldest region of Champagne. Uh, the Sherlon family uh, has been making champagne 
since uh, there are nine generations of champagne makers. We call it Sherlon Champagne 1877 because that's when they started making it. That's when the family came into existence. We don't own the land in Champagne. We actually own the rights to the grapes that come off the land. Therefore, we're able to give you the first press of the grape uh, with the highest volume producer of first grape Champagne in the United States. We're also the number one rated low sugar uh, and zero sugar champagnes in the U.S. Yeah, so uh, for y'all don't know, when they make champagne, they add, they top it off. It's called a dosage. And what he's saying is there's zero sugar in their dosage. So um, I it, just say sugar because I'm from the west I know, side I, of I, I know, I know. Listen, and you, I know they want me to say dosage and everybody, but I'm like, I ju- I'm just not that guy. You were just, <laughs> I'm thinking about my grandma. She's like, baby, I got the sugar. Like that's exactly. that's the, like, and she was from the south side exactly. of Chicago. Like it's like it wasn't diabetes. It was the sugar. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got sugar. Well, baby, you got sugar in your family? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't have sugar in my family. <laughs> Ain't nobody got diabetes yet. <laughs> all right, man. So I like to start at the beginning with all my guests. So um, you mentioned it, but um, Let's start at the beginning. Tell everybody where you grew up. Where are you from, man? I grew up uh, in Chicago. I'm, I'm originally from the west side of Chicago. Uh, six brothers, two sisters, uh, family of nine. And um, mom and dad, uh, you know, raised us. Uh, you know, education was uh, the, the thing and the key, uh, supposedly, to get you out of poverty. Yeah. Uh, fell into basketball, fell into sport. Uh, but really maintained and, and stayed in school. Uh, mom, uh, dad was very diligent about, you know, finishing school. Graduated from Indiana University. Went on and got my master's in education from University of California at Berkeley. And uh, also played in the NBA. So uh, that that's kind of been my... My journey, so to speak. <laughs> he gave us the cliff notes. So your family, um, like I mentioned, my, my mother, my maternal grandparents... Uh, moved to Chicago. They were part of the Great Migration. Was your family mm-hmm. part of the Great Migration? Absolutely. Um, my mom and dad from Vicksburg, Mississippi. Okay. Uh, my mom uh, came to Chicago when, and her and my dad when they was all about, you know, 16, 17 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, uh, my mother's family hails from West Point, Georgia, which is on the Georgia-Alabama, so Western Georgia-Alabama border. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, they came up they were more established. Um, they were they were a lot. They were older than your parents. I'm amazed. But my mother did the same similar thing. My mother was living with her grandmother since she was 13. So when she was 17, she had an aunt who lived in New Jersey. So she came up right. north to New Jersey. Um, so um, did you ever go back home to visit where your, your parents from? Or no, it, it's interesting. You know, um, you know, my mom and my dad. You know, um, they never wanted to go back to Mississippi. Yeah. And um, I remember my my aunt died and, you know, my mom's sister. And and uh, she didn't even want us to go back to, to Mississippi for the funeral. Um, her memories were so violent and so bad of, of Mississippi. They just uh, never went back and never wanted to take us back. Yeah, similar. I mean, I, I think my mother, um, I don't know. I know I've been to I've been to West Point like three or four times mm-hmm. my whole life, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I asked her if she's like, you know, she never. They don't even want to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Like like people, it's <coughs> I think it's I mean I I think when we look at everything going on in the world, like you look at like a George Floyd, but like people don't even understand the amount of violence that was perpetrated. Mm-hmm. You know, in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties down south, it was it's kind of that that people like said wouldn't when, when he, don't need to know where you're from. You're from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And you know, even even with my with my father, um, you know, my my father was in the military, uh, and you know, whenever whenever people talk about you know the generation before me, mm-hmm. uh, those men and those women, uh, what they went through, and and how they fight really was you know a lot of times against the U.S. government, mm-hmm. and you know my mom, you know my mom and dad are. You know they're they've passed away, but my mom used to always say that you know the U.S. government broke up her marriage because we had to go on welfare, and when you go on welfare, a man can't, can't be, be in, in the house. house. Yep. So I remember the social service agent. Uh, you know they would come to the house, and you know my dad would have to hide in a closet or, or run out the back, and you know he'd come back, and you know him and my mom would get to arguing and fighting, but at the same time, you know. When you look back on that now as a man, you know, the the humiliation and the dehumanizing way that those generation of men were treated. But yet and still, I admire them because when you look back on those pictures, they all still had their dignity. Right. You know, they all, you know, they was always, always in suit dipped, and tie, yep. you know, and, 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 you know, back, you know, straight and everything. And, and, and it was, it was, um... It was an interesting time just looking back on that and, and being involved in a lot of it, you know, during the civil rights movement because my mom, you know, she ended up uh, working with Fred Hampton in the Black Panther Party, moved on the west side of Chicago. When Martin Luther King came to Chicago, he literally moved four blocks from my house. Um, my mom marched with him, you know, so we, you know, we w- we were heavily involved in, in the movement. Yeah, I can imagine. And... um. I mean, Chicago is like it's 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 like, I mean, Nation of Islam was headquartered. I mean, Chicago yeah, was yeah, like yeah. The, well, like it's like ground zero, ground zero for yeah. uh, you know yeah. uh, the the Black Revolution movement. I mean, I, that's kind of wild. And then of course, you know, Barack Obama was came out. Yeah. I mean, he's not from Chicago, but that was his home base. We claim Michelle. Okay, you claim Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, Michelle, you know, she's the real deal. She, she, you know, and and actually, Michelle's brother Craig and I played on the same uh, Biddy team uh, for a couple of years together. So you know, it was, you know, Chicago definitely uh, ground zero uh, for a lot of um, the movement yeah. uh, uprising and. Um, you know, just just trying to be right in this country. Yeah, for sure. So you said like, growing up, there was nine of you. Um, when did you start playing basketball? As, as early as I can remember. You know, I was, um, you know, we didn't have babysitters. So <laughs> so my brothers, you know, they all played. And, you know, you, me being the youngest, wherever they went, I had, had to, to go. go. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was... I was in school at three years old, and I was playing basketball at three years old, mm-hmm. um, be, only because they were there. Um, and, you know, I, I was really fortunate, you know, because, you know, looking back, all my brothers played, but when they went to school, again, since there was no babysitters, they took me to school with them. So I was in the classroom. Oh, wow. Yeah, at that young of age. And because my mom worked at the school also. Okay. She, she, you know, she was a cook and she cleaned. Mm-hmm. Then my father became a janitor at the school. So, um, you know, so I was there and, you know, friends with the teacher. So I, I, I got a lot of um, unintended lessons mm-hmm. uh, by just sitting in a classroom, you know, being with the teachers and my brothers. Yeah. 
So like, um, your brothers play basketball. You start playing your three. So do you think that um, obviously they were taller, bigger than you? Like, I would have to think they didn't take it easy. They would just swatch your oh, shit. Oh man, just foul <laughs> to this day. <laughs> to this day, <laughs> you know, I, I'm. They still call me Junior. Okay. Right. And and then it's interesting because my nieces and my nephews, who are in the family business, they call me Uncle Junior. <laughs> that's that's black as fuck. Yeah, Uncle yeah. <laughs> they call me. So I'm just straight Junior yeah, at the yeah. crib, you know. <laughs> um, but but yeah. So my older brothers um, and my oldest brother, Lord Henry, he was he was really really good. Um, and uh, he got turned out on heroin. Mm. You know, had a mm-hmm. you know had a rough uh, teenage time. Uh, but as a basketball player, he was really really good. And um, I learned how to play just just watching them mm-hmm. and the way they taught me the game. At that time, remember the NBA wasn't even on television, right? So the game was more about you know spiritual knowledge, you know understanding you know your your teammates understanding your opponent how to beat your opponent you know so it was all about dissecting uh the the physical and the mental the way I was taught the game yeah I mean I mean that definitely shows in your style of play but and you know that's I'm gonna unpack a little bit later but so like so you growing up and then when did it kind of become like oh damn Zeke's good Junior's good they never told me I was good. I never <laughs> felt like I was good. And, but now that I look back on it, right, it's, it's kind of weird because when I was in fourth grade, <coughs> my, my brother and I started in the backcourt. Now, he was in eighth grade. I was in fourth grade. But to me, I didn't, I didn't think it was like a big deal. Yeah, right? wow. But at the same time, I look back on that now, and that, that is kind of special. You know, yeah, uh, but but I never felt honestly. I never felt that I was. I never felt that I was really really good, because I was always small. Mm-hmm. And you know, when people are bigger than you, they can just, they can change things quickly. <laughs> 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 I mean, you could be playing good, and all of a sudden they get physical with yeah. you, and it's like, you know, it's game over. Yeah. Uh, so. And then in my neighborhood, by being small, everyone was small and fast. Right. So you you never really had a a height advantage or a weight advantage. So every time you ran up against somebody who was your size, hey man, on any given day they can get you. Mm-hmm. Just like today, out on the court, if I went and I played now, on any given day somebody can get you. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know. Now it's interesting because I mean I, I think. Um, much different NBA now than it was back when you were playing. Um, we'll get into that. Um, so, a lot of work ethic in your family. I'm hearing uh, um, both mom and dad uh, emphasis on <coughs> academics. And what you said earlier was um, like understanding the fundamentals of basketball was something like really like people talk about basketball IQ or whatever they say. Like yeah. like. Like you've known, you're known for having one that was off the charts, ability to see things. Um, so, IU, Bobby Knight, yeah, disciplinarian, military guy, 
you had to have other not but you had I mean it worked out but you had to have other offers like was that like how did the decision was that was mom involved in that decision it was mom involved <laughs> in the decision mom made the decision <laughs> man <laughs> hey man I I remember um, you know I, kids say hey you know I've decided to go to eight, yeah right you know this school man my mom called the press conference and said my son has made his decision. <laughs> <laughs> He's decided that he's going to Indiana University to play for Bob Knight. And I was like, oh, man, that ain't that ain't what I was thinking. But all right, you know, because, you know, kids nowadays, you know, they, they have a little bit more freedom. But yeah. back when we was coming up, you know, hey, they made a movie about my mom. But the way my mom raised me mm-hmm. in this day and age, Oh, they'd be putting my mama in jail. Oh, see, I tell people too. Like, yeah, my I'm, mama would go to jail, I'm, man. I'm like, was I abused as a child? <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> I'm like, ah. Oh. Um, no, but, but uh, you know, it's the, the values and the work ethic and everything that it was instilled, mm-hmm. as you touched on, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, um, you know, when you talk about playing the game, and this is what, my mom and I think my brothers and them understood a little bit better than I did. Um, Bobby Knight, when you talk about a, a, a disciplinarian, you know, Coach Knight, one note, everybody's talking about, well, he was so rigid, he was so hard. No, it, it, he gave you a lot of freedom. And with a lot of freedom comes great responsibility. Yeah. And we had no plays. Like, we never came down and called play 22, play 23. We didn't even have an out-of-bounds play. And most people don't believe that. Well, I mean, I've never heard that story. No, That's no, no. He teach, teach, he teach you how to get open, how to be a good teammate. Mm. Don't take bad shots. Don't turn it over. If you take a bad shot, now we got a problem. <laughs> if you turn it over, now we got a problem. <laughs> But if you don't take bad shots and you don't turn it over, are we good? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so that understanding, that thinking, and and it it goes back to the teaching, right? So educationally, we were always taught to be critical thinkers, mm-hmm. right? We weren't taught to memorize, and yeah. and in basketball, it's the same. Mm-hmm. They give you a pattern in basketball. Mm-hmm. Because the teacher or the coach don't trust you to think. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, so uh, whenever we, whenever I played against someone who, who was in a pattern, and they couldn't critically think, and I get them out of that pattern, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to just, I'm getting ready to do you. <laughs> <laughs> now it reminds me, of course, someone said, um, um, uh, freedom lies in discipline, right? So the discipline, and not. Not not like black mama discipline, but the discipline of learning not to turn over the ball yes. to, to, to your shot selection, being a good teammate, mm-hmm. um, mastering those disciplines, then he can give you the freedom to, to, to go run and play and go do what you got to do. Keyword, play. You know, and, and, and until you learn how to play, that means you have to get a foundation and be trustworthy. So I can sit back 
and watch you play. But if I if I got to jump up and run down the sideline and call play 22 right, right, right. and 32 side and oh give you all these signals, that means you don't know how to play. <laughs> <laughs> or, or your coach don't trust you yeah. enough. Yeah. So whenever I ran across coaches and players like that, once I get you out of your pattern and you just free-flowing, uh, I got you. Now, some, some players, you couldn't get them out of their pattern. Right. They were disciplined enough to stay in. But if I found an undisciplined team or player and I can get them out of their pattern or crack their belief system or break that trust in terms of communication, uh, then, you know, now I just got you flailing. Yeah. I, I this is this is brilliant because you know I, I think I look at the game today and I, I love the game still but like when you look at what you go to a playground you look what kids are mimicking they're mimicking like the the too short or you know all the yeah. the grandiose gestures not understanding um, that that's that these one of these guys can play but like look what goes into um, that doesn't make you a good ball player. Being good is, is be able to shoot, you know, be a big free throws, uh, not a dribble, not lose your dribble, not lose your head. So I love this. Um, and, you know, I think about what's it like to win an NCAA championship? Because for most people, if you're fortunate enough to be good, people don't get like if you're good enough to play sports in college, Particularly D one is the most revered, but even D three, I forgot someone said uh someone said if you could play sports, it was on Instagram, but basically even if it's D three you should be grateful. But like D one basketball, <clears throat> I think NCAA tournament kinda really helped the NBA because it was such mm-hmm. an exciting turn. I mean, it was like it was more more people used to watch that than a lot of NBA games. Yeah. Um what was it like? What's it like making a title run? Like you're playing all season long and then like you determine like what what is what is it? What does a coach tell you? Like, what's that? What's and you're the point guard. You're the captain on the floor. What was that like, going on a run like that to win a title, man? So, NC two A NBA definitely different levels. Yep. But but I, I'll, I'll talk about the NC two A with, with Coach Knight. Yep. Um, we we started off really rocky, and you know we finished up as probably if not the best defensive team to ever play in a tournament, Mm. we definitely have the record for the most double-digit wins in a tournament. That's how good we have become defensively. Mm. So when when you talk about me as a player, Mm -hmm. most people talk about offense. But really, I'm, I'm rooted in defense. Like my high school team was the best high school defensive high school team, I mean the defensive team. Mm-hmm. My college team was the best defensive team. And of course my NBA team was the best defensive team. Um, now everyone we played against in the NC2A tournament, we beat them by 13 points or more. Mm. And where, where Coach Knight really would hone in at is again, don't turn it over, take good shots, but now on the other side, my job is to force you to turn it over and force you to take bad <laughs> shots. It, it, it really is that simple, wow, right? Wow. And if you take bad shots and turn it over and I take good shots and don't turn it over, then I'm going to beat you. And, and I'm going to beat you bad. Mm-hmm. 
and the more frustrated you get, you know, the worse it's going to be for you. So by the time we got to the tournament in, in 81, we were, we were really like a juggernaut. I mean, we were just running through teams. Closest game we had was uh, the, the final game against North Carolina. North Carolina has three top ten picks on that team. James Worthy, Al Wood, Sam Perkins. Sam Perkins, yep. We beat them by 13, 63 to 50. They didn't get over 51 points against us. That's how good a basketball team we were. And if you go back and you look at our run, uh, Maryland, we play Maryland, they have two top ten first-round first picks on their team, Buck Williams, Albert King, and then they had Ernie Graham. Mm -hmm. We beat them by – did we beat them by 50 or 40? One of them. <laughs> that's, wait, anything more than 20 on, with Buck Williams like that's a whooping yeah that's, that's a, a whooping that's that's how we played that's that that was the mental psychological impact and effect that we would have on teams Albert King and Buck Williams got beat by like 40 or 50 yeah I don't remember if it was 50 or 40 <laughs> they, they remember <laughs> so um and you came out early, right? That wasn't super, super – was that when people started coming out early? Did you come out after your sophomore year? Came out after my sophomore year, and okay. this is how the rules have changed. Yeah. Back then, you had to prove hardship. They called us hardship cases. Mm. And I don't know if you remember, you you had to declare hardship. Oh, right, right, right. So you like, I got eight siblings of my mama. You had to prove you were poor. That's <laughs> – You see my address? You got to prove you were poor, yeah. right? Had to prove you. I, you were poor. I forgot about. Yes, it was. It had to be, he's declaring they, a hardship case. Yes, and it's it's also the Spencer Haywood rule. Right. So Spencer Haywood was the first one who who came out and did it, and we owe him everything mm -hmm. because he went to the Supreme Court, won his case, and now you know people can leave and come out one and done, be early, so and they don't have to prove hardship. Right. Back then, you had to prove that you were poor enough. And people would really come and inspect your house, look at your mama's pay stub and everything else, and you had to prove to the government that, you know, you were a hardship case, and then they would let you in. Yeah. I think I forgot about Spencer Haywood, but I think people don't understand how much a debt athletes today owe to people in the 70s. Who was it? Kurt, was it Kurt Flood? Kurt Flood. Oscar Robertson. Oscar Robertson. We don't we don't get Oscar enough credit. We don't we talk about Oscar with the triple double, but hey, the Oscar Robertson rule is called free agency. Mm -hmm. But they don't they don't say Oscar's name. Oh, that's so they wild. just yep. say free agency. <laughs> right. Well, well, where did free agency come from? It came from Oscar Robinson standing up, going to the courts fighting against the NBA so you can be free, so you can move around. And then when you mentioned Kurt Flood, so Kurt Flood, Oscar Robinson, those were the dudes. Yep, yep, amazing. And then, I mean, and think about I mean, now you just got me. This is why I love this. The mind just starts going. How many times black athletes have taken things to the Supreme Court? You got Muhammad Ali in the Supreme Court. That was for, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. um, just on and on. And then, um, oh, that's just hardship. And then, it also got me thinking about that, like how that rule in NCAA 
football ruined that brother Maurice Claret, Ohio State, the football yeah, player. Ohio State, yes. Because they wouldn't give him a hardship. Yes, he, he, he couldn't go hardship out of football. Out of football. Yeah. And they end up in jail. Like, yeah. like, like his life could have been different. Um, anyway, um, amazing. So, second pick over. Who was first pick that year? Mark Aguirre from Chicago, Mark my neighbor. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mark Aguirre, this is just one of the greatest stories. Um, and somebody should do a doc on this. Um, I think it may be the first time and probably the only time that two kids in the same neighborhood live, you know, blocks from each other, went one and two in the draft. All rights reserved, MG immediate. <laughs> <laughs> that is a documentary. Holy shit, how's that not been done yet, man? <laughs> That's insane. I heard his name the other day. All rights reserved, Isaiah Thomas. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh shit. Uh, I was uh, watching a game, and he was like, I forget, who did he play for, Denver? Who else did he play for? He played for Dallas. Played da for Dallas, Dallas in Dallas. Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Then came to Detroit. Right. Won a championship with me. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but, like, you like sometimes, like, I'm getting old, but, like, you know, because you play, but you forget, like, oh, shit. Mark, remember Mark Aguirre just to light, dude, light, light it dude. up? Used to light it up? Yeah, and, and I don't know why he's not in the Hall of Fame. That's crazy. It, it, not, it, it, it's He's still the leading scorer in Dallas history. Still leading scorer. Uh, and Dirk may have passed Dirk him. Might have, sure. uh, yeah, he might be number two, but Dirk might um, but But it's still. Yeah. Like, like he still got records there. I think, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. Luka Doncic just broke his, like, three-point record. That's what something. just happened. Luka Doncic did something crazy yeah. in a game. He's on a run And they right reminded now. Oh, oh, Mark Aguirre did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was like, I was like, oh, shit, yeah, Mark Aguirre. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in high school, he was the man. College, what he did at DePaul, putting DePaul on, on the map. map. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I and then winning back-to-back -back championships with the Pistons. You know, I I don't understand it. Yeah, that, that's that's insane. So you go to the Pistons. Um, I'd assume you kind of be happy close to home, right? Near home. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't I didn't I didn't want to go far away from home. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually happy that Mark Aguirre was the number one pick and went to Dallas. Yeah, um, he and I both were trying to stay at home and get to Chicago. Of course, um, but you know, Detroit turned out to be absolutely wonderful for me. And not only wonderful, but I met I met great people. And just to show you how, my mom was just man. I was so lucky to be born to her because little did I know. And this is how this is how gangster my mom was. Before I got to Detroit, she had already called the mayor, Coleman <laughs> Young. Hey, take care of my baby, he coming. Had had conversations with Aretha, you know, take care of my baby. And I we didn't even know like my mom knew all these. Right, people, I'm like right? I'm like I'm like Yeah, 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 right? That it's like <laughs> <laughs> So when I get to Detroit, I'm like you know, I, I fell into a, a cocoon of, mm -hmm. you know, just we got them, Miss Thomas, everything good, you know, yeah. they coming up. And it was, you know, Detroit for me, you know, I I, I don't get treated. Th there's no place on earth that I get treated better than in Detroit. Love that. I mean, when I, when I go home, you know, and I look at me, I'm calling it home. Right, right. right. When I... <laughs> When I go to Detroit, you know, I, I was born in Chicago. My teenage years, I say, is Chicago. Mm -hmm. My adult life is Detroit. Mm -hmm. 
when I go when I go to Detroit, man, it is. I feel like I'm everybody's brother or a cousin mm-hmm. or you know. I mean, everybody. It, 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 it's the it's the weirdest thing, you know. I I'll check into a hotel, and I try to pay the bill at the hotel. They like, nah, we got it. I <laughs> I go to a restaurant. I try to eat at the restaurant or try to pay at the restaurant. Nah, 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 we got it. I I don't pay for anything in Detroit, mm. right? And anytime I'm I'm there again, you know, I get invited to everybody's home. Mm-hmm. And I do say I go too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, sometimes, man, you know, it's like, God, it's really, it's like, you, you can go to Detroit and you can hear stories of guys off the street, mm-hmm. you know, met me on the street corner, mm-hmm. bring me back to their house. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in their house with their family. They bring out some food or whatever, whatever they got and they share it with me. And they sitting there like me and you kicking it like, Man, I can't believe you sitting in my house, man. <laughs> like, it's like, hey, man, it's like you invited me. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do? Say no? I know, right? Oh man. And I, I just tell you, like, before we got started, you know, former coworker asked for an autograph. Got it. The best was my roommate. Shout out to Kermit Carolina and Mama Carolina. Just, uh, I was like, you know, she, you were, you were her favorite player, and we called her, and he left a voicemail. He's just, just genuine like that. He's just down to earth, man. So I could see it. Just, hey, that's that's how we was raised. Yeah. And, and again, that's to me. If if you notice, every interview that I've done, at least eight out of ten of them, you will always find me referencing. I'm from the west side mm-hmm. of Chicago, mm-hmm. and. What does that mean when I say that? I mean, there's a, there was a, there was a community there. There was a heritage. There was a, a collective thought and body in terms of who we are, what we're trying to do in this country, who we're trying to be, mm-hmm. and how we should treat and take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Always look out. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna get into some of your philanthropy later, which is just equally impressive as every anything you've done in your career. Um, so, you arrive. 81, you know, and then it takes eight years to get the team together. Yeah. Um, what was that like during the time? Like, like okay, so your mom had called Aretha and, and the mayor, <laughs> which I just thought, like, that whole Aretha Franklin movie, I didn't realize how, it makes sense, but how involved she was. And so so it's just, you're, like, tied to that, too. Like, just, yeah. she, like you said, community, taking care of taking care I of I spoke people. at a funeral. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was the, who was the coach when you started? Like you, you had a couple of coaching teams before you got to the title, right? Uh, Scotty Robertson, and then he was replaced by Chuck Doug. Okay. Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly. Okay, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, when I got to Detroit, you referenced like you know, team wasn't that good. Um, I just remember Dave Bing mm-hmm. back in the seventies. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Dave became a mentor. Okay. Um, he and Archie Clark got me involved in the Players Association. And uh, I eventually became president of the Players Association. That's, that's in here. <laughs> but, but I was so fortunate to have met Magic Johnson. Okay. Um, Magic Johnson had just won a championship, was the MVP of the league, and now I'm coming in, and I get to hang with Magic Johnson. <clears throat> Not only do I get to hang with Magic Johnson, 
but I get to learn. Key word, I get to learn mm, mm. from Magic Johnson and be educated about the NBA, not NBA playing, NBA winning. Mm. Ooh, that's different. That's way different. That's way different. That's So, you know, the Lakers and the Celtics at that time in the Philadelphia 76ers. Dr. J. Those were the three teams. Yep. <coughs> I don't care what nobody say. Don't, don't. In the 80s, that, those, that those was teams now. Yeah, come on, yeah. Those were teams. Yeah, yeah. Then the Pistons came. Exactly, exactly. yeah, yep. yeah. We, so we were the fourth team, but yep. I, but we got to put them three teams first. Yeah. Now, we, we say we the fourth team. <laughs> we don't never say we the first, second, or third. <laughs> because, man, now Mo Cheeks, who's from Chicago. Okay. Was on that Philadelphia yep, team. Yep, So – Dr. J, who at that time was like, ah, Dr. J walking, ah, the music would be playing, yeah. right? He was so gracious to all of us, you know, bringing us in, talking mm -hmm. to us. So now, you know, for a summer, before I get into the NBA, this is the crew that I'm running with playing pickup ball. Dr. J, Magic Johnson, George Gervin, the Iceman. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Twice as nice. From Detroit. <laughs> so, man, the knowledge that they were giving me to this day, right? When I came into the NBA, I was thinking at such a high level. Mm -hmm. Combined with, with what I had learned in high school and in college. So, now I got to figure out how do you win in the NBA? So basically, you got to go to school. Mm. So I went to the Lakers school and the Celtic school. Celtic school, I had ML Carr as a teacher. ML Carr. I still got ML Carr number. We, 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 <laughs> we right? Had ML Carr as a teacher. Had Kevin McHale as a teacher. Dennis Johnson, Bird. I mean, all them DJ guys. DJ on the Supersonics from Riddle Squad. Yeah. Yeah, and he yes. went over to Celtics. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. So, Bird. And people don't realize, like, Larry Bird from Indiana. Yep. Now, me and his mom were pen pals because <laughs> his mom his mom liked me, right? So, when I was at Indiana, yep. she would write, you know, and everything else. So, now I'm getting, like, man, I'm getting the greatest education in terms of knowledge if you go back and you look at any of them films when the Celtics won when they beat the Lakers I was in their locker room watching them celebrate when the Lakers won I was in their locker room watching them celebrate when the Lakers or the Celtics lost I'm at every game taking notes learning trying to figure out damn how they keep winning and everybody else losing yeah Cause there's only three teams that was yeah, winning and true. losing. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And it was. It was. And it, it was like it's either be Philadelphia, Boston, out of the East. And it was. It was like you didn't worry about the Phoenix Suns. You, they, you know, whatever. Paul Westbrook. Yeah. They, 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 they ain't beating. Not beating the Lakers. Yeah. And if you remember, Boston would win 62 games. Philly would win 61 games. <laughs> And Milwaukee would win sixty. Oh yeah, and, the, the, and Milwaukee, Sydney, Moncrief, all the yeah, Bucks too. Like if you yeah. like, God damn. <laughs> Milwaukee would get knocked out every year in the seventh game. 
It would be a seven-game series. They would lose every year either to Philadelphia or Boston. Mm -mm -mm. That's how good the East was yeah. back then. That, the East was the beast yeah. back yeah. in the day. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was, oof. Um, so, like, everybody's got no, the bad boys. Like, so, mm -hmm. like, NBA was different back in the day, man. Like, like they like said, you, you're not, you, what, you about 6'2 or something like that. I mean, you're not a big dude. Um, yeah. Strong, you're athletic, but like, I just go back to those pictures. Like, like, I see. I love Steph Curry, but these guys go to the rack and don't get a foul. Like, you would get fouled and not get a foul. You get thrown to the ground. Nah, you had to take an ass with me. <laughs> I mean that 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 was that was that was part of it. And again, being from the west side of Chicago, having to fight every day. As I'm saying, you had all these older brothers, first of all, and then you had, and then you out, in the, you got to just fight. Yeah, and you don't win all your fights. Right, now. right, right. That's now you, saying, that you, you show me the guy that won all his fights. Mike Tyson didn't win all his fights. Let's no, come on, no, you know no. What I'm so you, you, you don't you win got, all your fights. You got to learn how to. You got <laughs> to learn, how, how, hey, learn how to take one now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and basketball, like football, back in that era, was different. Yep. If you came across the middle in football. Hey, Ronnie Lott, Tatum, them, them guys was waiting on you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people didn't go across the middle. A lot of wide receivers, they stayed on the sideline. Them tight ends, they were playing the middle. Mm -hmm. But weren't no wide receivers coming across the middle. Yep. In the NBA, the same thought. Little guys didn't go into the paint. You just didn't. And when you went in there, okay, if you're coming in here, it's a price to pay. <laughs> now, if you want to pay the price, then, you know, that that's how it's gonna be. But you're gonna get you're gonna get hit. And and so my mentality was I would I ain't scared. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I gotta come. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, how hard can you hit? <laughs> now, I was getting I don't think there's a, a smaller player during that era got hit more than me. No, the closest I I've seen since you was Iverson used to go in and take hits. Yeah. But I don't see anybody with the ferocity that you or like an Iverson had. Iverson would, and he was small. He's small. He's yeah. my size. They say six foot. I still, yeah. brother's five nine. Yeah. He was five nine, one sixty, and he would he would go. I mean, yeah. he, you know. And then sometimes he would dunk on you. I know that was the nasty Ooh. thing with him. Yeah, that, that was that was that was just what's scary about him. Like, yeah, like I see some stuff he used to do. Like, I remember one time in college, the NCA is like. It was a rebound, and you just see somebody flying through there, this little dude dunking over yeah. everybody. Like, he took off like a yeah. and Like, yeah. he, he used to do crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Um, but speaking of that, like, I was thinking about, like, how he trying to, like, the crossover. Like, so I'm sure you are friends with Jalen, or you know Jalen Rose. Yeah. He recently did his, like, best top, either top five or top ten handles of all time NBA. Named you number one. He was showing some of that footage, man. Can you imagine if you were allowed to carry like they are nowadays? Like you were doing it like no, you were right. doing it legit. Could you imagine if they were legit? What you? If I could cheat? Because <laughs> they carry. I mean, I, like, but even growing up, I didn't play organized. But like, it was a carry. You couldn't. You couldn't do. You couldn't do that. You couldn't bring it over. Wait. Not only could you bring it over. Like remember when we was growing up, if you did that. They were caught. Hey, yeah, man, that's carry. That's a carry. Yeah, that's carry. That's even in the street, like like even in the street, it wasn't even like your boys let you go. Like yeah. you, it was a carry. Yeah, and it was the rule. You couldn't even fight about it. No, you was like, you, ah, yeah, you yeah. got me. <laughs> I, I didn't care. Yes, you did, man. <laughs> just, right. And you just give it up. Yeah, you just give it up now. In 
in the NBA, the, the, the rules have so benefited the offense. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they want the offense. Because it's exciting for people. People, yeah. people don't get – but see, like, like you said – People who really appreciate the sport appreciate the defense. You're like, like, yeah, because that's like stopping someone from getting a shot. Like, yeah. like, so you also like, you coming through. Um, you guys, dude, I used to, I used to pick you up full court and steal it from you, and I would <laughs> take it from you, right? And instead of going and scoring, I give it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. I would, I would take it from you and then give it back to you and say, all right, nah. and then I take it from you again and go score. That's cool. <laughs> but I think people underestimate, like when you look at like, um, like what Dennis Rodman did for your team, the defense. Just mm-hmm. having somebody who just wants to play defense and get rebounds. That's it. Well, that's winning, right? You, the. They write about beautiful offense, but I don't care what sport it is, football, basketball, baseball, hockey. A great defensive play is just beautiful. Defense wins championships. The Yankees just found that out. They hit home runs, home runs, home runs, and then they they run into some pitchers, and they can't (laughs) hit no singles or no doubles. Yep. You know, it's like, hey. Yep. You know, deep defense wins championships. Yep. You got to be able to defend, and that's the way I was taught. If I can stop you from scoring, and then I can score on you, then you getting ready to lose. Yeah, that's bad. That, that's 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 a no brainer. But by the way, if you can score and I can score, uh, it's gonna be a long game. Well, that's what we see. I see a lot now. You know what? I'm gonna take a. We need to take a quick break. <laughs> We go get to his business stuff, but it's just, <laughs> but like getting all this deep inside, like high level stuff is great. So we'll be right back in a few, in a few. Well, you seconds. asked too many good questions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back, yo. Did you know that one out of every five bottles of collectible wines is a fake? Rare Liquid has solved this problem with a tech platform that provides unprecedented trust and transparency for next gen wine collectors. Working directly with iconic artisans, they verify each bottle's provenance at its source, then track its rarity, ownership, storage, and transfer history on the blockchain. Rare Liquid members get exclusive access to these verified rare wines and can buy, store, and pimp their collections on the Rare Liquid platform. Membership includes physical seller storage as well as cloud sellers, where you can display and trade bottles frictionlessly online without ever having to move the bottle until it's ready to be consumed. And because Rare Liquid tracks these on the blockchain, for the first time, artisans get a residual payment every time one of their bottles transfers ownership. Rare Liquid's game-changing tech creates a safe and frictionless experience for next-gen collectors while fairly rewarding iconic artisans for their craft. Rare Liquid membership is by invite only, but luckily I can help. I have a limited number of these invitations available for you, my listeners, and if you're interested in learning more about Rare Liquid, please reach out. You can hit me up on Instagram, at BlackWineGuy, or even better, send me an email, BlackWineGuy at gmail.com, and drop Rare Liquid in the subject line. Okay, we're back. So, you you guys, I believe, and I should have did my deep research, but, you know, like, you guys went to the NBA uh, Eastern Conference Championship the year before. Mm-hmm. Your first win, right? 87. 87, right. Yeah. Um, 
And that was the Celtics nacho? Celtics. Is that the famous uh, y'all didn't shake hands nonsense that people talk about like in these, these documentaries or something? No, so they so we beat the Celtics in eighty eight. Okay. And they didn't shake our hands. Okay. We the Bulls beat us in ninety one. Okay. And we didn't shake. That's hands. right, because yeah, it was the, it was the Jordan doc. That's yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, 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 right. Okay, so what? How? How does? How does someone stay mentally sharp to win back to back NBA championships? Because there's only a few teams that have ever won back to back. You know, yeah, it, it it's a matter of sustaining concentration mm. and um, and then then having the the discipline enough to to do it and to make the sacrifices. And I remember after we won our first one, um, as you can see, I'm always thirsty for knowledge, right? Yep. So um, I went and I found Chuck Knoll, who was um, Philadelphia, know, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach yeah, football, yep. And they had won uh, back-to-back yes. Super Bowls, yep. right? And I, and I want to know, like, you know, what what's the secret, right? Because we won't do this again. And I knew I wasn't going to get it from Magic. I knew he wasn't going to get it up. <laughs> no, no, he's no, like, no. Zeke, I love you, yeah, brother. I yeah, because I got to beat this. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Yeah, he's like, I, so I can't go ask him, right, because he ain't going to tell me. So I, I I remember sitting down with Chuck Noll. We were having dinner in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I found him down there. And he said to me, this was his question, because I asked him, I said, you know, what's the secret to you know, going back to back, you know, we just won it and want to win again. He said, do you want to win it again? I said, absolutely. He said, if you want to win it again, and all of you want to win it again, you'll win it again. Mm. He said, but the key is, all of you have to want to win it again. Because you have a head start. You already the champ. Mm -hmm. Now, there are people... Key word, there are people chasing you. Mm -hmm. But you you already there. Mm -hmm. Now can you get better? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah, and it yeah. was like, so you telling me all I got to do is practice a little bit more harder and work <laughs> a little harder and I can keep this lead? Say, that's what I'm telling you. Yeah. We won it again. I, I love that you um, – that's like the best way to learn is to seek out someone who's done what you did. And even though it's a different sport, but like you know, you you were able to differentiate that it's the mindset and mentality that was going to be the most important thing. I love that you you did that. Like you went and sought out the, the football coach you wanted. You know what I mean? I mean that's amazing. People don't. It's like almost like a cheat sheet for success. It's find someone who has done what you want to do. Talk to them. Yeah. And then and then and then actually you have to apply what they said though. <laughs> coach and I used to always say mental is to physical, as four is to one. Mm. Mm. And and then he would say, "Dumb people get you beat." Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that goes everywhere in life. Yeah, you you win with smart people. You win with smart players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while you're in the NBA, you said a while ago that you got involved with the uh, the players' association. Um, what prompts you to get involved with the players' association? Um. First, my mom, my mom, and my dad, and okay. just my my upbringing, right? Um, and now you're starting to critique 
sports in the landscape that you're going into. Yeah. Uh, and I told you Dave Bing mm-hmm. and Archie Clark were mentors. Mm-hmm. When I got to Detroit, they said immediately, like, you got to get involved in the Players Association. And you got to understand this business because one day you're going to be a leader in this space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me not knowing that, mm-hmm. right? So they would they talked to me about the collective bargaining agreement, so forth and so on. Uh, Oscar Robertson, you know, how the union started. And <coughs> then in 84, 84, 85, that's when the salary cap was instituted into the NBA. Okay. And my three years of learning as a player rep and then becoming a vice president of the union, I was involved in those talks and discussions because now as you the player rep for the team, now, you know, you got to talk about, you know, salaries, benefits, <coughs> pensions, so forth mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, so through that uh, became, um, you know, they elected me as the president of the Players Association. And um, when I became the president of the Players Association, I started making some changes uh, within the union, uh, you know, because you, the business model of sport and entertainment, it truly is a plantation. I say it's plantation-esque, man. It's a plantation business yeah, model. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and those who, who are on the outside, they look at it and say, well, you guys are making so much money. Yeah, you're making, you're making a lot of money, but the business model, it is what it is. And I've always said, if, if someone can pay someone $100 million a year over five years, you know how much money they're making that they can pay someone that kind of money? Really, let's just scale this. Let's think about this. Yeah, well, it's, it's it, 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 you know, uh, the, 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 the book, um, uh, who was the writer who wrote it? Forty million dollar slave um, mm. w- with the New York Times. Oh, he killed me right now. He's <laughs> from Chicago too. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Okay, I know who you're talking about, but 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 anyway, um, forty million. I like that man. The it, it, again, it's it's not necessarily the people. It's the business model, it's and, the it, system, and, exactly. and and when you critique the business model, and even the language. Mm-hmm. In the business model, I get drafted, mm-hmm. which 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 is like being up on the auction block. Then I'm I'm restricted. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> then I become free, free, and then there's free agency, wow. where everybody get to bid on you. Exactly. Wow. So the language of sport is it's still kind of dehumanizing, yeah, right? When you when you really break it down. And then you can even fantasize about owning me and trading me. Wow. <laughs> right, and, that's, and, 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 and that was the thing that guys like yeah. Kurt Flug and Oscar about. Because people don't get like, like what did Oscar Robinson make? Like, they were making like 10000 a year, some ridiculously low, low amounts of money, man. 20000 a year for a season or something back you in the day. You got to put Bill Russell in there, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, because Bill Russell. Bill Russell, oh, my God. Talk about. I mean, he just passed away. Yep. But look what he did for all sport. Look what he did for society, mm-hmm. but look how he was treated mm-hmm. in sport. Mm-hmm. Key word, look how he was treated mm-hmm. in sport. I remember 1974, I'm getting ready to go to school, and this is when um, I was one of the first 
uh, kids also to be bused. Okay. Right. And and I'm walking out of the door. My mom grabbed me, and she said, "You got to watch this." And I said, "Mom, be, be late for school." She said, no, you got to watch this. The news was coming on, mm-hmm. and there was a woman came on from Boston, and they were desegregating the schools mm-hmm. in Boston. Mm-hmm. And she came on television and said, I would never allow my kids to go to school with these ends mm-hmm. in 1974. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they had her on, on camera saying that. And my mom made me watch and then said these words, now you can leave, but now you understand why we root for Bill Russell in the Boston Celtics. Mm, exactly. Wow. And if you remember back back well, when we I were mean, growing up, I, we I, were all Celtics fans. Well, you Celt- know. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of in between when we didn't like Celtics because the NBA played the white-black car yeah. with Larry Bird. And then when I watched the Bird Magic, like, and here you're like, everybody was friends, but, like, how they played the angle, like. Well, they switched it up. Yeah. They switched it up, you know. And this is where you David Stern and the marketing team came in, right? Yep. The Celtics really historically have always been an all black team. I know. And and, and but right. but then they switched it up right. on us. They threw Mikhail and, 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 and they made Danny Ainge and Bird and made it about them. And so the whole marketing game, right. they made the Lakers the black team. And that's and exactly. Made that's the Celtics it, exactly. the white team. Right. right. And it really had America kind of torn. It totally did. Because all of us grew up we were we were Celtics fans. And St. Louis Cardinals right, fans. Because the cats older than me, like your age, a few years older than me, all were Celtics fans. And I was trying to understand, like, you know, like Cornbread Maxwell. They were, blah, all, blah. They were all black but, team. Were, but it was all black team. I mean, and, and but the, whenever you see it, like, it's about Bob Cousy and, and Dave Cowens. No, nah, it was the brothers on the it was team. The brothers, man. It, was that, the, it was always the brothers. And that's what, and, and that's why, like, when people talk to me about the Celtics, they, be, they get it real twisted. Because. Yeah. The stuff that be coming out of my mouth, they they say, "Well, wait a minute, what's wrong with you, brother? Wait, wait a minute, wait. A minute. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, hell, red are back. Listen, winners. If you're a winner, you gonna want to be follow the winning team, dude. 1966 in the United States of America, in Boston of all places, in Boston, what what we were going through in the black community, red are back started." Five brothers. Not only did he start five brothers, then he stepped back from the coach and and, and, and named Bill Russell as the coach. Player coach. You will never see that shit again. And then it, Bill Russell won the championship <laughs> as a player coach, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's what? crazy. Crazy. And and I think I love about Bill Russell's like everything he went through. Just grace and elegance. And 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 I'm sure never got rage for. I mean, of course you're angry, but n- always channel it properly and hand, and just did so much for black people, not just sports, but for black people. Just he was like a leader. Well, if you remember during that time, all all dads, grandfather, you know, it was about hey, don't let them break you. Mm-hmm. You got to maintain yep. your dignity. <clears throat> yep. Don't yep. bend your back. Yep. Keep your back straight. Yep. And and you always saw them. They yep. was 
They was knotted up, yep. or they had their sweater and they yep. hat on, and they even when they was marching, I never forget when we was going to the marches with my mom, cause we ain't had no shoes, we ain't had, no, you know, we was real poor, but everybody dressed up right. to go to the march, and right. they and if you go back and you look at those pictures and when they marching, they all in suit and tie. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, it's so true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. All the civil rights marches. They in suit and tie. Like they were going to trade. suit and tie. You're right. They dressed I'm, up like, hey, yeah. the, the, look look, look at us. Exactly. And the, the dignity and the way they carried themselves. And the, so when you say Bill Russell didn't break, no, he, he couldn't let them see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, so as, uh, as part of being a player association, you, you helped um, – open up some bigger salaries for uh, players during your tenure, right? Absolutely. Uh, so you, we used to, you used to always read about NBA players going broke. Right? Oh, yeah. And, and when, so the agents, right, at that time were taking 50% of endorsement money and then they were taking 20% of your salary off the top yes. and and felt like they had a right to right and and so when I became president mm -hmm. uh, I changed all of that and changed the you know the when you look at the agent certification mm -hmm. uh, rules and regulations how you have to represent your player the first thing i did is i cut the agent fees from 20 percent to a negotiated keyword a negotiated four percent you couldn't go any higher than four percent well all the agents got mad at me of course they did they they were really mad at me and Who's then they this? they had media people but now you know now you now when you become the president Guess what you get to do? You get to make policy. Mm -hmm. You get to make rules. Mm -hmm. You get to say, okay, this is how we're going to be governed. This is how we're going to, you know, allow people to come and represent us. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and um, and then we slotted all the salaries. So when you slot the salaries, the first pick in the draft is guaranteed X amount of dollars. Gotcha. Yep. Second pick is guaranteed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. X amount of dollars. So what do you there's really no negotiation yep and then we uniformed all the contracts so all the language in the contracts is uniform there are no exceptions mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so all the language is uniform the salaries are slotted so now if you want to have an agent you can right but this union that you pay dues to mm -hmm. is your collective bargaining agent mm-hmm now, you pay your dues so the union can represent you. Mm -hmm. And they've represented you by slotting the salaries and uniforming the language. Now, if you want to go give an agent some money, you can do that. Right. And a lot of guys still do. Yep. And then some don't. Yep. And I'm the Ray ones Allen. that don't, they get mad at them. Right. The, right. The newspaper write, they had their newspaper buddies write bad articles Well, that's what they wrote about, about Ray Allen. Like, 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 and now knowing... Like that, it was slot. Like Ray Allen's like, I'm not giving somebody four percent. Just this is I can negotiate my own contract. And then he had Johnny Crocker and just look it over. Like that's it. Like why why give away four percent of your money for nothing? You know what I mean? And it's so it so goes to like those dudes. They were like, 
You're like, well, I have all the connections. You have all the talent. You have the talent. You have the good looks. You're delivering the lines. Why am I giving you 50%? Because because you drank scotch with somebody at the agency? Come on, man. Well, you know, again, I, I grew up on the west side of Chicago, <laughs> so that's... There's hustle, con, game. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I understand. Don't knock. Exactly. I mean, I can. Yeah, yeah but yeah. don't don't get mad when somebody busts your hustle. Though. Come on, when everybody say like, "Come on, son." Yeah, you and, got got. That's all. But the, but the way we were brought up, right? Oh, they didn't switch it all up on us, right? They when when we brought up when we the way we came up, you know, the game was told, mm-hmm. and if somebody was selling you game. He was a sucker. Mm-hmm. Now they didn't switch it up on this generation, and they'd have made some rhymes about it. Hey, like the game ain't meant to be told; the game is meant to be sold. <sighs> and now you got to pay me for. And what game is? We used to game for us coming up was called knowledge. Mm-hmm. I want to give you some knowledge, mm-hmm. young fella. Mm-hmm. I want I want to mm-hmm. pass this knowledge mm-hmm. on to you. Mm-hmm. That's my job. My right. job is to pass this knowledge to you free of charge to understand this system that we living in. Mm -hmm. But now this generation, they selling knowledge. Mm -hmm. And they got to rhyme with it. You know, like, you know, the game's supposed to be sold, not told. No, no, they done flipped it. They totally did flip it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, God, we we could talk for four hours. we got some time, but I want to get in. So you you do it. So you understanding you're making agreements, and you were the first NBA player to be on a cover of Forbes. Yes. How did your NBA career um, and your experience as in the Players uh, Association? How did that? How do you think that prepared you for the, the world of business? Uh, it, it was a great preparation because. The world of business, people don't realize this, but I think sports and entertainment is the biggest business in the, oh, in the United oh, States. Oh, no, it is. No, no. Um, <laughs> sports and entertainment is, I mean, it, it, and actually it's <coughs> sports. You look at, you look, I mean, sports is the biggest business in the world. I had a friend who worked for Adidas, and he, I remember, and he was got a high up, and he was like, he's like, he's like sports is the biggest business in the world. Yeah. and, and, and Look at it. We got the World Cup. I mean, sports is it. And now the NBA is expanding, but sports is it. So that was my training ground. Yeah. And and um, now coming out of sport and then looking at business, and the first thing I, I was taught, again, is what's the business model? Okay. Well, right? Yep. Because you got to understand the rules of the game, mm-hmm. right? In basketball, it's 94 feet, you know, mm-hmm. two goals, 10 feet. Okay, these are the rules. You've got officials, people watch. You can't carry. <laughs> 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 this is traveling, you know. What's the rules? So when you come out of sport, you're looking in business, and you're saying, okay, what are the rules? What's the business model? It wasn't a plantation business model. Mm-hmm. It was a free enterprise business model. Right, so now understanding that, how do you how do you navigate? How do you operate? And thus, the first thing I did, um, and again, fortunate and lucky to be around some of the smartest people. At that time, there was a gentleman by the name of Rick Inatone, and his father's 
or his family had started intercom computer stores. Mm. If you remember intercom computer stores when you were, you know, when we were mm-hmm. younger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was this company called American Speedy Printing, mm-hmm. and they had went into bankruptcy. Rick Inatome and I, as partners, bought American Speedy Printing out of bankruptcy. I became the co-chairman of that company. That's what put me on the cover of Forbes. Okay. Now, what did we see that made us say we want to take printing? Inatome, from a technology background, say, hey, if we infuse technology into the mom and pop print business, now we got something. And that's what we started doing. And right before that, Blockbuster had come along. Remember they had the small video stores? Yep, yep. And Wayne Huzenga rolled up Blockbuster. He rolled up all the video stores, and he made them Blockbuster, mm-hmm. right? So what we did is we rolled up all the print shops. American Speedy Printing had 700 quick print chains across the United States. Ended up selling and getting out of that at just the right time because there was this company that came out right after us called Kinko's. As soon as you said coffee, I was like, I was like they either sold it to Kinko's or got because I was like, because Kinko's Ooh, was coming. Man. I was like, that sounds. I was like, technology and printing. That sounds yeah, like Kinko's. Yeah, when Kinko's <laughs> came out, I was like, we were like, <laughs> exit out of that, and um, you know, kept rolling and and was on a cover of Forbes because that's when I started my firm, Isaiah International. Okay. And and I believe um, the thing that when I was doing an interview with the reporter, we we were talking about deal flow. Okay. He was like, how, well, you know, how, how are you getting, how did you find this deal? And I used the term and made the term, or I used the sentence, and he, they put it on the cover. My celebrity created deal flow. So using celebrity not as fame, mm-hmm. but now you turn celebrity into a business. Yep. And because you're a celebrity, people bring you deals. Mm-hmm. And so I'm look, I was looking at 15, 20 deals a month. Mm. So your celebrity creates deal flow. Got it. And now you pick which ones are the best. Got it. Got it. So we gotta we gotta fast forward because we gotta because we gotta we gotta we gotta <laughs> sorry <laughs> no no it's fine I, listen I, listen I know we we'll have to do it again that's all um, so you talk about deal flow like you're into like you now you've you've expanded your, your Isaiah International um, Isaiah Imports you've done real estate you have a real estate division or something mm-hmm. like that, right um, how did you get into wine? How did you even like? Was the first time like? Cause I think we talked about this briefly when I met you the first time. Like, how did you get? It? I I don't. So this is me being in the champagne space is the damnest thing. <laughs> I mean, it really is because it it never was on my radar. Uh, it was never you know a space that I was looking to go into. Okay. But opportunity presents itself. Yeah. Right. And. So I had a popcorn company called Indiana Popcorn. Sold my popcorn company. Uh, and if you go into the store, you see that red bag of, of kettle corn. 
uh, we were the first company to start putting colors on the bag because wow. when we were growing up, remember popcorn was yeah. clear bag. Yeah, yeah. They weren't. Yeah, it was just see the popcorn. See the popcorn. So we started putting colors on the bag. Thus, you see the red on the champagne. Mm-hmm. We had the red. Now I went to Indiana. Our yep. colors were red and white, right? So, um, but I sold my popcorn company, and then George Clooney had Casamigos. Oh yeah, tequila. tequila. Yeah, yeah. And it was Clooney and friends, and they was talking about how he killed it in tequila, and. Clooney and his friends had done this, to, so everybody was like, "You need to look in the spirits," because it was it was it was on fire, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, "Okay, I'll take a look." I looked at tequila, I looked at vodka, I looked at wine, and I said, "It's too much competition, <laughs> <laughs> man! It's a new wine that come out every month. There's a new tequila that comes out. There's a new vodka that comes out, and..." And Diddy had just killed it with Ciroc. Ciroc. Oh my I God. mean, he should do a master class on that. Yeah. What he did with Ciroc yeah. was like, you know, yeah. brilliant. Bananas. So I'm like, okay. But some was intriguing about Clooney and friends because I'm like, well, I got some I got friends. friends. <laughs> <laughs> right? I got friends. I got 450 friends, mm-hmm. you know, like in the NBA. NBA exactly, yeah, exactly. He just had like three, four friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm like, let me see if I can put this together. So then I looked in the champagne space and then realized, like, you know, a, a good champagne hadn't really hit the market in almost like 100 years. And when I looked in the champagne space, you know, it was one big house. Yeah. And it had, like, all the labels. So yeah. there was Coke but no Pepsi. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And Coke gave you different brands, but they're still coming from the same house. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So now I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, there's a, there's a possibility I may be able to play in here with yeah, my a, friends. There might be a play here, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So now I'm looking at the business, okay? okay. And, and then I see the more I get into it, being a former athlete, health conscious, nutrition, you know, you start looking at the sugar content, you start looking at, then I start learning about sulfites and everything else and and I'm like, okay, so if I can get low sugar, zero sugar. Dosage, Missy. Just for Misty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dosage, Misty. I know. She keeps saying You can't say dosage. I'm like, look. <laughs> look, everybody know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he trying not to get the sugar, y'all. Just yeah. <laughs> okay, but if I can get zero dosage yeah. and I can get low dosage, yeah. right, now I got a niche. Yeah. I got a niche on nutrition, health conscious, that fits with... My friends. Right, listen. Th- them women made skinny girl. Skinny girl made money. I mean, you yes. like 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 there is a there is a niche. There is there it is a thing. I mean, shit, not alcohol all drinks are taken off right now because people are a little more health conscious around, more health around their alcohol consumption. So I I get you. I feel you. And then the other thing I, I learned is that there were very few first press. There was a lot of second, third, and blended. So now I'm like, okay. I got a first press. I got low and zero dosage. Yep. Now I got a now I got a business case. Right. Now I got a niche. Right. And now I can play in this space because I like to win. Yep. So I'm like, okay, now who am I? Who's the competition? Right. So at that time, it wasn't a lot of competition in this space. So now I can take off and I can run in this space without having to fight 
you know, the big major brands right. who, you know, have been dominant in the space yeah. traditionally. Yeah. So now I got my niche. Yeah. So that's like, I mean, there's a great book called uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. And, but there, I think there's one thing that book misses. First of all, um, like you said, so the wine, spirits, space, it's a bloody ocean. There's so many brands, so many competition. But that what's good is that means there's people who want the product. Yes. So what you ha- so what you sounds like what you did was you found a bloody ocean and then you said I'm gonna swim over in this pond. Like you found a way out of that to create your own. Uh, you know, you're like I'm, I'm going over here. There's no sharks over here. Ain't no sharks over here. <laughs> you know. Yes. Um. So and then and and so. You said in the beginning. The, the, the dolphins over there swimming and yeah, having exactly. fun. Yeah, having fun. They're giggling and laughing. Yeah. They're on their backs. Yeah. Giggling. <laughs> um, totally, right? That's where you want to be. Uh, the house, uh, um, like I said, you you get the grapes. It's in, and is it is it uh, Aubie or Aub? It's in that Aub. Aub, which is in the older part of Champagne. And something else that makes this unique is that. Um, we sit right next to the Sin River. Okay, next to the sim. But you guys are planning to Pinot Noir, Pinot Blanc. Yes. And Chardonnay. And I think less than a half a percent of all the plantings in Champagne are Pinot Blanc. Yes. So that also uh, is something that is um, very, that helps distinguish the brand. Yeah, it, 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 it gives us a niche. It gives us a, a, a place to play. Uh, as you say, the Pinot Blanc grape is a difficult grape to grow. Only 0.5% of the Champagne region grows that grape. We're fortunate enough to be there. Uh, and, and now when we put that into the Champagne, you know, again, there's, there's no competition, you know, uh, that can do it on the first press that can do it at the volume that we do. So, yeah. so our niche is, is it's, a, it's a real specialty niche, uh, but, uh, you know, it's the, we think it's some of the highest quality and premium champagne that you can get on the market. Yeah. So for, for some of y'all who don't know, um, with champagne, there's, uh, when he's talking about first pressed, it's like, um, <clears throat> like when you go to the store and you buy a, a, your typical non-vintage champagne, um, it's not the first pressing of the grapes. The first press, if they're going to do, it's called a tete de cuvee, and it would go into their highest price bottle. And then, and then, um, like a lot of those in non-vintage, they're blends of vintages and, mm-hmm. and blends of second and third presses from from decades. Not not saying anything wrong with that, but you, you you're getting that this is because the size of this estate, their wines are first pressed. So it's like essentially a lot of this is the tete de cuvee um, because of the size, and that that is pretty significant. I'd have to say. Well, that's why you call the wine guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because that 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 tete de <laughs> That's about one of the few French things I can say, man. Every, t- every time I have a French wine, I, can, they I just, can't they even say correct it. me. Man. They just come, come correcting me. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> um, and so. Um, you are uh, so you, you have this champagne, and um, but you uh, and which is incredible. Um, you guys need to check it out. Um, I've had them all. The rose isn't great, the rose is also it's a uh, I can't say it, but rose de sagne. And what that means a lot of times at rose, they they just they'll top it off with some Pinot Noir, you know, to, mm-hmm. to add the color. Um, but a, a sagne is actually where they bleed off the grapes, they bleed the juice off, and it actually is a true. Rosé, and you're one of only only a handful of people do that because it, it's more costly. Yes. Um, 
why why is the why is this commitment to the highest quality? Um, it seems like you're really about a, a, a QPR quality price raise. Why is that so important to you? It goes back to my econ teacher in high school. Okay, right, Mr. Maroney. <clears throat> Mr. Maroney said, "If if you can give the customer the highest quality at the lowest price, you're going to beat the competition." And I want to win all the time. So my, my goal is always to find the highest quality. Now, how can I give it to the customer and the consumer at the lowest possible price where he or she can actually have the best of the best without blowing their rent money or blowing their paycheck? Right, because p- people think of champagne as like, just for special occasions, but inside of the world of wine, like it's it's incredible wine. It, it's a wine, just so you guys could. It's it's made from a region called Champagne. It is sparkling, but it is a wine. Um, it goes great with so many foods. Oh. So like to, to to like I mean I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know. Again, I'm from the west side of Chicago, right? Yeah. And so the first time I met one of the Psalms, right, and they tasted the champagne and they was like, oh yeah, I can you know the. The minerals yeah. and the, the, the salinity know, and yeah, the, the, the moose. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm like, man, this, this, I can, I can run this back on the street, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, you know, but, but then, once you start understanding what it is that you're drinking, yeah. and that's and that's another thing. Like, m- I had no idea what was in the bottle. I was, I was one of the guys that were going to the restaurant or, or just. You know, give me a glass of white wine, mm-hmm. give me a glass of red wine, mm-hmm. give me a glass of champagne. Mm-hmm. Not having no idea what the bartender had just poured, mm-hmm. right? And then when they started telling me how it pairs with food. Now, when I went over there, right, this is when I thought they was like, they was trying to run game on me, right? It's like, you know, I was sitting there with the family and we was talking. They go, well, it really pairs well with fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... And then they said, you know, greens, you know, and, you know, and, and I'm like, they said, like, barbecue. Yeah, I know. They're just saying, I, all, I, all, so, all, so, all of us African-Americans' favorite foods. Yes. And, and so, <laughs> so now I looked at the dude. I'm like, come on, man. You don't have to do that. You don't, you don't have to do that. They go, no, no, really. And so then they started talking about how the champagne it cuts the grease. Yep, cuts the fat. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it, it makes the taste come out better. So and with greens, they're kind of tart, and it can handle the tart. It can handle weirder things, you know. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. I, d- I just been eating all my life. Yeah. But then now when I paired it properly, the food just exploded in my mouth. I started tasting everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I was like, I when they was talking about, well, you know, you can taste some the minerals and the soil, and I, and I was like, how you tasting that? But then when it started pairing right, I could taste everything. I mean, it was like unbelievable. And but the this brute that we got sitting yeah, here, yeah. the thing that I love most about it is it pairs well with my favorite salty food snack. And that's popcorn. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, popcorn. You that's your sort of yes. popcorn, potato chips. Mm-hmm. Champagne on a potato chip with some caviar and some prim fresh is to die for. Woo, yeah, and we didn't have taste, and we had it accurate. There was popcorn, fried chicken. <laughs> See, you just hit me with something, right? Because caviar is salty, mm-hmm. 
So the champagne and caviar, that's why it's been going. See, I just learned something See? from you. I just learned something man. from you. Uh, somehow on this podcast, people learn about wine, even though we didn't talk a whole lot about wine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that soupy today, whatever, whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, this is very exciting. Um, uh, you still do work. I mean, you're still involved in professional sports. You, you're involved with philanthropy. I know you have programs in Chicago with uh, you know, in Chicago that you put together. Um, how do you find time to do it all, man? I, I really just love what I do. I mean, I, you know, I feel like I got, I got eight jobs, but I don't have a job. Yeah, I love that. I, I feel like everything that I'm doing, I really like, mm -hmm. you know. And um, so finding the time to do it all is, I don't have enough time in the day because I really do enjoy and I like what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it be talking about sport, I mean, think about Think about my life. I mean, I, know, I mean, man. really, man. That's pretty crazy. Man, I, I'm in the champagne business. I know. And I drink champagne, and that's my job. I know, right? right? Uh, Just like you, mine know. is your job. Yeah, you know. Basketball, I talk about that, that. That's my job. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So it's like I, I'm, I'm in some good spaces, so I, I don't that. feel like I'm working. I love that. So, man, listen, um, I'm going to let you go. Hopefully your car didn't get towed. <laughs> oh, man, I hope it didn't get towed even. Um, I wouldn't even know where to go get it I know, in right? New York. I know. It's probably out in the Bronx somewhere, too. That's another thing, too. You know, you know or Queens. It ain't in, it ain't in Manhattan. And, and you know they don't leave a note like no, no. your car yeah. your car's you been towed. You have to call, to... be on hold. Sorry. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> man, I got to get up out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah, thanks so much for coming in, man. Um, tell your people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing with Sherlin uh, and everything you're doing, man. You can you can go to uh, Sherlin.com or Sherlin.com. Uh, you can purchase it online, and Sherlin is spelled C-H-E-U-R-L-I-N dot com. Uh, you can order from our website here in New York. You can go to Aqua Wine. You can pick it up there. Uh, and uh, we just we just got onboarded. I, I'll make this announcement. Yeah. We just got. We're just getting onboarded in all of Total Wine stores. Oh, congratulations! So uh, thank you on that. That's and huge. Um, you know, so we, you know, we, we're doing all right. We're all doing right. all right. That's awesome. Well, man, listen, I, I can't thank you enough for coming in. Like I said, um, and for all the listeners out oh, there. Oh, wait, wait, yeah. What the 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 store? What that the sister own? Um, the, oh, up in in the court. What. The one in Harlem or the one in Brooklyn? The one in Brooklyn. Happy Cork. Happy Cork. Happy Cork. Happy Cork. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yo, no, you, good you, shot. Good you, catch. Hey, hey, I was hey. about to wrap up. Hey, no, no. We, 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 got, we got to do our thing. Happy Cork. Happy Cork. You can get that Happy Cork, too. <laughs> nice. And for all the listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for uh, each episode. That's where I'll, I'll put links uh, about the wines we discussed, uh, where you can buy them in New York, et cetera, and so on. Um until next time, here's to the Mavericks, the Flasters, Deep Thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. It's your boy, MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>